Welcome queen to the body love binge with me Victoria. Although we're all unique, honestly I'm no different to you. I'm just a girl who's been through some hard shit, figured out how to thrive and made it her life's mission to help others to do the same. I've beaten anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder and I'm a domestic abuse survivor. My intention for this podcast is to empower you with weekly episodes on all things food freedom, body love and of course juicy, yummy self-love so you can embody the healthiest and happiest version of you. Enjoy the episode my love. Hello my queens and welcome to another episode of the Body Love Binge podcast with me, Victoria. Now, excuse me, this episode is slightly different because it's not really an education per se. I'm not really sharing something that's going to give you tips and tricks. However, I really felt called to fully, authentically, rawly, deeply share my full story from anorexia, yo-yo dieting, my abusive relationship, binge eating, bulimia, fitness obsession. And I am gonna go into it into detail. So there is a trigger warning here as well for anyone who thinks that hearing anorexia stories, um, I'm not really gonna use numbers, but I am gonna go into behaviors, um, an abusive relationship, including rape and um, physical abuse, I am going to be talking about that. So that is a trigger warning. So please take care of yourself first and foremost, and don't listen or skip past bits if you feel like that's going to be harmful to you in any way. Um, And also just like full disclosure, I might cry, which is fine because crying is beautiful, right? I may or may not. I've just literally, I'm looking at the notes that I've just written bullet points because I want to make sure I don't miss anything out. And when I was, Ironically, I left the abusive part out until last to write bullet points about. And I don't think there's any, there's no coincidence in that. So my heart was like racing as I was typing and remembering some some of the things that happened to me. And I'm completely fine with it. I've had a lot of therapy um, and I've made peace with all of it. And I've forgiven him and I've forgiven myself and all of that. But I may cry at some point, especially when I talk about my mom and things like that. So just warning you about that as well. And I'm just looking because I'm on video as well. Those that are not on YouTube right now. And I can see a sports bra hanging to dry in the background. So I've just not so quietly removed that. So I, the reason I want to share my story with you is for the following reasons. Um, number one is to inspire anyone listening, to inspire you and to show you that And to give you hope that a full recovery from extreme disordered eating and eating disorder is possible. And also it's possible to fully heal any self-esteem and self-worth and self-love issues from, well, we all have trauma, right? But especially from past abusive relationships. Also to show you that you are not crazy and you are not alone. And most of the things that I share I know that I am not alone when I share this, but many of you, and I have this from experience from coaching many women, when we first have a conversation, they have so much shame around sharing because they think 
no one's quote as bad as them or no one's quote as fucked up as them and I want you to know that you are not alone and you are not fucked up and there's nothing wrong with you okay and the last reason is I want you to understand that there is light at the end of the tunnel no matter what you are going through even if you've been through things that I haven't been through, because of course, everyone has their own story. And I've supported many women through, you know, extreme trauma, such as child abuse, um, sexual child abuse. And again, you're not alone in that. But please know that the point and the reason my intention for sharing my story in such depth is to inspire, to give you hope, to know that you're not alone, and to know that recovery and happiness is absolutely possible for you. Okay, so the way I'm going to be talking through this is I have notes for each time, wherever my notes have gone, there they are. <clears throat> I have some bullet, just bullet points, so I can try and keep myself contained and like take you on the journey with me of my life journey around food and body because obviously we'll be here all bloody day if I give you like an actual whole life story about everything in general but just to make it clear and like there's kind of sections if you like so feel free this might be a long one so feel free to come back to this pause it listen to it in chunks skip through things like whatever it may be but let's get into it then just take a sip of my by the way hello fresh gave me this for free it is a fused tea, apple and kiwi, no added sugar apparently, we don't really care about that anyway, but anyway, I'm going to take a sip. All right, so then my background and growing up around food and body. <clears throat> the first thing that I remember in terms of dieting was when I was maybe around nine years old and again as sh I'm sure you can relate when I talk through my childhood it's probably like different ages like bitting and bobbing all over the place because your memory isn't as clear so I remember my first childhood memory in fact my first ever childhood memory I'll share that because it involves food randomly was I was in a high chair so I must have been pretty young because I was in a high chair right and I remember I wasn't feeling alone per se, but I remember this is like the little toddler version of me wondering like where everyone was like, where's mom, where's dad, where's my sister, like what's everyone doing? And I was just like sat in this high chair, like by myself. And then my, I think it was my mom, she brought me this strawberry yogurt and I think it's called Muller Corner. I think they do them now. And it was a strawberry yogurt and you could tip um, these chocolate orange and milk chocolate and white chocolate little balls into the yogurt and mix it all up and eat it anyway that kind of detail is irrelevant but I remember that so vividly that when someone brought me this yogurt I remember thinking ah it's okay I'm not alone now so that was like my first memory of like food which was random and strange but from the age of nine I remember dieting with my mum I remember that it was before all the digital stuff. I'm 35. So anyone that, you know, most most women who listen to my podcast from the statistics that I see, obviously there's loads of diversity that listen. Thank you so much to each and every one of you. But most women are in kind of a similar age bracket to me. So you may resonate with the things that I'm going to share when that I experienced when I was growing up. But um, I remember dieting with my mum's cardboard circle to get, to know the Weight Watchers points on what certain foods were. So you'd put like the, I don't know, the calories, the fats or whatever it was you did. And then it came with a points value. Now I was always, even from as 
early as I can remember, an overachiever. So my mum would like, me and my mum would just diet together. Not that I necessarily needed to lose any weight at all. It was just something that I did because my mum did it. And me and my mum were and still are extremely close, which I'm so blessed to say, to be able to say that. I know so many incredible, incredible souls that have lost their mum. And I can't even, I can't even fathom to understand how that could be for somebody. Um, so I'm very blessed to have my mum still with me and we are very close and we've always been very close. So I just copied everything my mum did basically. And I would be given a points value, which I can't remember what it was, maybe 19 points. I know it's completely changed now. And I would start off having 19 points, but then because I wanted to like quote overachieve, I would have like 15 and then it, it kind of the obsession on the overachievement around food began then. And then in terms of like my body image and like what was said to me from family members about how I looked, my grandma, bless her soul. She was a very strange character. Um, she would say things to me when I was like eight, nine years old. Your legs are like tree trunks. And that was always said negatively, not as like a strong, empowering thing. It was always like an insult. Your legs are like tree trunks. I remember her always telling me off for being too greedy because my mum and dad worked full time. So my grandma had me and my sister a lot and she used to babysit us a lot, which I'm sure could not have been easy because she also used to babysit my cousins a few years further along the line when they were born and she had all the kids together. We would just all go to grandma's house, right? So it couldn't have been easy for her, I'm sure. But she would always tell me off for being too greedy. And apparently I always used to sneak food off people's plates. So, so my food obsession was clearly already there, like as a toddler for some reason. Well, I say for some reason, we learned from our parents and my mum was like always in the diet binge cycle, all of that. I'm not gonna go like before I was born because I believe that everything starts from conception and in the womb, but that might be too out there for some of you. And it's not really that relevant to my story that I'm sharing today. So anyway, my grandma was always telling me off for eating basically, but then ironically, when she made dinner for us, like, and I say for us, like me and my sister, if we didn't eat everything, we was not allowed to leave the table. And I don't mean like, you know, sit there for half. I mean, you would sit there for the whole frigging night waiting. She would be waiting for you to finish the cold dinner in front of you. So you had to eat everything she cooked for you it was this like weird thing she had. So I would be told off for being too greedy and nicking food and being told I'm eating too much yet, then I'd be like force fed without physically being force fed to eat anything she put in front of me. So it was very confusing. She would also lock me outside whenever I cried as a toddler. I didn't even think much of this at all until it came up in therapy, like, you know, a year or so ago, that that was a big deal. And ironically, or not so ironically, my dad said to me, like, you know, as I was on this journey, like the, in the last five years, he said, you never, you refused to cry when you was growing up. And I was like, I wonder, I wonder why I refused to cry. Because whenever I cried as a baby and as a toddler, my grandma locked me outside. Even if it was raining, she would lock me outside until I stopped crying. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's not funny, but really really grandma it's quite funny when I'm thinking about it like poor little me like the smallest cutest version of me who was just crying for I mean I probably was very mardy I probably was 
like a troublesome child. I've been told I was, but still, I'm sure that is there are better ways to treat a child who is crying other than locking them outside. So that's where I first learned how to um, not express my feelings and to hold everything in because I would get punished for it, especially for showing upset and weakness. So also my grandma used to use food as a reward and as a treat. So if we were good, we could have a chalk ice. <laughs> Can you remember chalk ices? Well, if we were good, we could have a chalk eyes. Like I said, I've wrote in my notes here, she used to literally make us eat everything on our plates until we could like leave the table. And this, okay, this is a funny story, but my auntie legit used Mars bars to tempt me and to trick me into telling the truth. So don't remember how old I was. I was at my grandma's house. I remember doing it. I remember getting a pen, not a pencil, a pen, and thinking it would be a great idea to go and doodle all on the wallpaper from the top of the stairs all the way down the stairs. And I knew it was bad and wrong, but I still did it anyway. And I have no idea why I did that. Anyway, there was a few of us in the house at that time. So it was my sister and I think a few of my cousins who were really young. And my grandma asked who had, who had done this and none of us owned up to it. Well, it was me, but I didn't own up to it. And then my auntie picked me up from school the auntie Kay, um, who was very, who I've been very close to as I was growing up, as you'll hear more about her um, shortly. She picked us up in the car, and I remember everyone was scared of my auntie Kay. I don't even know why she had children because she made it quite obvious that she hated children. She would say it regularly out loud to her own daughters, like, I hate children. I wish I'd never had you. She would hate me and my sister. She would hate having children around her. So we were petrified of her and she used to pick us up from school so this one time she came to pick us up from school and she was all nice and it was a bit weird and she was saying oh grandma said whoever whoever says that they've drawn on grandma's wallpaper she likes it so much she wants you to do the whole of the wallpaper in all of the house and if you admit to it she's going to give you nine mars bars or it might have been ten it was a lot of mars bars and then i was like me i did it <laughs> literally i owned up to it there and then and then her face just like switched and i was like oh shit well i didn't have the, that language at the time but i was like oh no and then of course i got i got bribed and tricked into telling the truth which yes of course it's good to tell the truth but i was a child and that was using food and then i got really told off for that so jumping forward again like story as a child i remember halloween I was obsessed with Halloween. I loved Halloween. And why? Not because of the dressing up, because of the trick or treating. And I remember being so ecstatic, like almost as much as Christmas Day, because Christmas Day was the only day I was allowed to eat chocolate for breakfast. So this food obsession started very young for me, especially around chocolate. I would love Halloween because I was obsessed with the trick or treating. And I would be, I would feel so elated and safe and happy with this whole bag full of sweets and chocolate it, it meant the world to me so I guess that wasn't a, a quote normal whatever normal is a normal feeling to feel when you was a child and then I started gymnastics I think I was around 10 when I started gymnastics by the way it's probably not that relevant but I started horse riding when I was five and the whole in my whole entire life I've been a horse rider so I'm still horse riding going to the stables every week blah 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 and I started um gymnastics when I was nine and I remember my mum saying and 
my mum will probably listen to this because she's my biggest cheerleader and I love her to death and she's my rock and she knows that anything I share is not personal is not to blame it was just my experience and I'm glad I had that experience because look at me now doing what I do helping women to become free around food and to love their bodies so just if you are watching or listening mum I love you and I'm glad that all of this happened okay but I remember my mum kind of like comparing me to my friend I'm obviously not going to say my friend's name I don't really speak to her anymore the one who I went to gymnastics to and mum would say things like oh she's got you a really big belly it sticks out you've got a lovely flat tummy and then I remember that was like the first time I questioned all the body parts apart from my legs because my grandma drilled it into me so early on that my legs were like tree trunks and that was a bad thing um I started to be really aware of my body in general and me and this friend who who I went to gymnastics with we would I don't think I ever told my mum this I'm not sure it's not really a secret but I would have dinner at home before I went and it would be a light dinner because obviously I'm going to be doing gymnastics for like two hours and then me and my friend I mean her dad would take us and we would always go to the chip shop the chippy on the way to gymnastics which doesn't really make sense thinking about it now but that's what we used to do and so I used to always have a few and like share with my friend and the chips even though I'd had a main meal but ever since my mum started to comment about her tummy and comparing it to mine and mine being like better in quotes because it was flatter I remember using all my willpower not to have any chips when I just so desperately wanted to share some chips with my friend like I'd always done so that was a vivid memory um about that about my body and about food um in terms of the way me and my sister were brought up around food like in terms of in the the intimate family like my mum and my dad because my mum and my dad were we I mean, my mum and dad kind of broke up a few times when I was younger, but my mum left properly when I was, I think, 16, 15, maybe. So a bit of a rocky relationship going on there, but they never argued. It was always amicable. My dad, I don't think, could communicate his feelings. I don't know. I wasn't in the relationship, right? But that was also going on. But in terms of like food, we always had to finish our dinner if we wanted dessert. So we could leave our dinner if we were full. But if we wanted dessert, we had to eat all of our dinner, even if we were already full. So again, I mean, I'm sure so many of you can resonate to everything I've said so far already. Having to eat your dinner before you leave the table or before you have dessert is not a helpful thing to teach your child. And again, I'm not a mom, so just you know, putting it out there because it's teaching it was teaching me anyway to ignore my body's signal of like, hey, you've had enough. And I just forced myself to eat it so I could taste the pleasure of the dessert. So that always used to happen. Sweets were always treats. So that's a rhyme, isn't it? Sweets were always treats. So like if we were good, we would get some money to go and get a pick and mix. Or if we were good, we could go to McDonald's. Or if we were good, we could have some chocolate. So it was always used as a bribe. And again, I'm not a parent. So God knows how difficult it must have been. Mum had two young children. There's only 18, 19 months between me and my sister. So God knows how she coped. Um, and I also like joke a little bit, like because I was the second child and the only, like the we, she, my mum's only had two. So my sister who um, is 19 months older than me and um, me being the younger one, I do joke that Michelle got all the homemade 
food and all the attention and, and like with it being the first child and then I came along and it was like oh my god how do I cope eat this shut up have that distract yourself by doing that so I feel like possibly that could have come into it in context of like me wanting attention because my mum was working full-time with like two young children maybe but anyway if we were good then we could have chocolate sweets treats McDonald's and then a few memories that came up that I wrote down were I don't know how old I would have been I would have been definitely a bit older maybe 12-ish 11 11 probably 12 I remember mum well she was always dieting anyway but I remember her doing I think it was Slimming World and I would go with her to the weigh-ins because she had no childcare at the time it was I don't know what my sister was doing maybe she came as well I don't think she did though probably I probably wanted to come let's be honest because whatever my mum did I wanted to do it too um I remember going to the weigh-ins with her and then when someone lost weight everyone was like yay well done Sandra well done Barbara well done whatever for losing x amount of pounds that week anyone that didn't lose weight nobody would clap and they would be like what can you do better next week so it wasn't like abusive but it was like disappointment how can you do better what went wrong blah 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 which I guess is the whole point of a slimming club to lose weight but you can see the problem the problem here and how this can be so problematic for a young child especially creeping into her teenage years. And then after the weigh-in, my mum would go to the shop and get shitloads of chocolate or treats or whatever it was. It was donuts or chocolate, I remember more so. And then sometimes a Chinese. So I remember copying everything my mum did, um, having Chinese and then being so full because it was encouraged to be like, oh, come on, you can finish it. You can do it. Yeah, like good girl, like you finished it. And I remember being so full to the point where I literally could hardly breathe. And then my mum going to get the chocolate because she can't eat it tomorrow because she had a weigh in. So she's got to be, quote, good all week. And then me copying her and like force feeding chocolate down me when I was so full from the Chinese. I just learned behaviors and habits such as that. And of course, it tastes good. But in all honesty, reflecting back, it doesn't taste that good if you're not actually that hungry. But either way, that's what I experienced as well. And I always remember so vividly, my mum always used to like grab her stomach and grab any fat that was on it and then just be like, look at that. Oh, it's disgusting. Like, look at this. And she wasn't ever shameful around her body. This was interesting to me when I was writing my notes. She never hid herself away. It wasn't, excuse me, it wasn't like she wore baggy clothes all the time or she wouldn't put bikini on because of the shame she had around her body it wasn't that which was a good thing but I picked that up myself but she would still comment negatively towards herself all the time and show constant disapproval of her body now as a child who was like so close to her mom and only loved her and only saw her as like I mean you know how you see your parents hopefully I mean I I say that Again, I help so many women who haven't had a childhood where their parents have loved them unconditionally. And that breaks my fucking heart because every child deserves that. Right. So just to clarify that not everyone has had this, but generally you look up to your parents with just such awe and you don't question anything and you just love them. That's all. You just love them. There's just so much love for them. And I remember watching my mom berate herself and pick herself apart and like always wanting to be skinny and obviously always dieting to try and be skinnier and I just remember being a bit confused like 
how it was sad for me to see as a child my mum not liking herself but I didn't understand that in my head so I just thought that you just always need to want to lose weight and you actually get loved more and appreciated more if you stay small because that's all I saw my mum doing to herself and when she was slim and she lost weight she would like be really happy about her body and praise her body so it was very conditional how she loved herself and then therefore, as a child, this doesn't make sense intellectually as an adult now. And of course, it wasn't true. But I honestly thought if I stay slim, I will get more love and approval from my mum. Now, of course, my mum loves me unconditionally, but I didn't see or feel that because of the, you know, the conditioning and the behaviours that I was watching and that I learned and took on myself. So in terms of like me then growing up to be ashamed of my body I remember on the landing um, in our old house we had a big landing with a big mirror on the landing and and the bathroom was next to it and me and my sister used to share bath water because that's just what you did remember and then my mum would be like comparing me and Michelle I think my sister's Michelle obviously well not obviously but I've said her name now and it's no secret it's Michelle like we would have a bath and then I think we'd look in the mirror because my mum always did and then I would probably ask things like, am I fat? Am I okay? Like looking for reassurance. And I remember my mom actually generally saying that my sister was usually the chubby one, even though she wasn't chubby, whatever that even means. And I just had like thick, big legs. And so even from that young age, I was being compared to my sister, probably because I was asking because I felt insecure. And then I started then to hide my body, even to the point where, I remember one time, I think as children, you have worms, don't you? I remember having them at some point anyway. And my dad needed to check. You have to check in your bum. Like there's no, there's never TMI with me, right? My love. So just bear with. You have to check in your bum if you've got worms or something. I remember refusing point blank for my mum or my dad to look at me naked at all because I had such an aversion to it. My dad had to come and do it when I was asleep, apparently. So even when I was younger, I was starting to wanting to hide myself away. And I also remember so vividly um, a um, Closer magazine, I think it was, or something similar to that. And Britney Spears was on the front of the magazine, or someone like Britney Spears. I'm sure it was Britney, and she was in a bikini. And then they they zoomed in on the bit of cellulite she had on her thighs, circled it in red, and like pointed to it with like a fat shaming comment, like Britney's let herself go. And then like there's loads of like seven day diet things next to it. And I remember consuming so many of those magazines when I was younger as well. And they were so freaking toxic. They really were because they weren't mobiles yet. Well, maybe just the four, Nokia 402 with Snake had just come out. But they it was more magazines that you were reading to be influenced. So it was so fucking toxic. And I remember that. I remember being petrified of thinking, oh, my God, if Britney's like being ridiculed because of that tiny bit on, of, on her skin, then what must people be thinking about me if they ever saw my body? So then I started to like hide away. I also remember my aunties, my mom has two sisters um, and they were always commenting on their own weight, other people's weight, how fat people were, how thin people were, including my mom would always comment on what people look like. And it just gets ingrained in you, you know, it's like conditioning, it's brainwashing, as well as all the magazines and the marketing and everything else that goes with that. So it's just really, it's, it's like, imagine a GoPro that my 
a bestie Rebecca said this analogy to me and it really resonates and it's so true in terms of psychology and the unconscious mind as well the second you are conceived it's like you've got a GoPro stuck to you. Well, you haven't got a head when you conceived, but you get the gist. It's like you've got a GoPro that's constantly recording and downloading everything you see, hear, experience, witness without having conscious awareness until you're about the age of seven to nine. All of that that's been recorded since you were conceived, that's gone on around you, is now your unconscious mind, is now the software that you run off and that's how we end up as adults, either, you know, the same as our parents or the complete opposite of our parents, but always having to work through the conditioning and the limiting beliefs and the, the patterns and all of that. So that's a, a bit deeper, but that's how like the unconscious man and conditioning works. And then in terms of what have I wrote down here? Oh, yeah. In terms of like starting diets, like I mentioned Closer magazine with like Britney Spears on the front and then the diet, like the seven day diet, lose 10 pounds in seven days and all of that crap. Me and my mom used to do that together and would get so excited and would get all the ingredients and do a shopping list and go and buy everything and then stick to the diet for like four days and fall off the wagon then binge and then start again. You know the drill. And to this day, I still experience past diet-related trauma around meal planning, writing a shopping list, and going and buying ingredients because of the countless times I have planned a diet, got all the ingredients, and then put myself through hell for seven days or however long I could stick to it for. I still have trauma around that. So now HelloFresh is literally my best friend. I live off HelloFresh so easy, no thinking. You go on the website, oh, I fancy this, 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 and this. It delivers to you in the right amount and you cook it and you eat it. So even now to this day, I two things. I cannot eat vegetable soup because it reminds me of the cabbage soup diet. And yes, I did that countless times. And I really get an extreme um, trauma response to any kind of planning, food prep, even if it's just like normal stuff, like what are we going to eat this week? What do we need from the shop? It stresses me out because of all this past shit that me and my mom used to do together, right? So basically through the compliments I received as and I'm getting to my anorexia story now. So as I got older, like into my early teens, anytime I lost weight, I would get compliments, obviously, because that's what this world is like. Everyone's fat phobic and celebrates thinness and fatness is bad. You know, all of this, but just, you know, it's always being mirrored back to us all the time to reaffirm our beliefs that we've been conditioned to believe in the first place. I believe that slimmer is better and slimmer equals more love. And then the opposite is the opposite. So one last thing before I go into my anorexia story, and I don't want this to, this this might sound weird what I'm going to share, but I think it's really relevant. So during school, primary school, secondary school, especially until I was anorexic, then obviously everything changed because I just was a shell of who I was. I was one of the most popular girls in the school. And so I was the one that everyone fancied and wanted to be friends with and blah, 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 blah which is what everyone wants, right, when they're at school. And I get it because I've not been in the opposite end where like any, any, anyone bullied me or anything like that. So I, I've not experienced that. But because I was put on this pedestal and everyone wanted to, quote, be like me, apparently, and the boys wanted to date me and all of that BS that happens at school, I was put on this pedestal and it was so much pressure to keep that that I had this status that I that I was living so much pressure so then I was petrified 
of gaining weight, of losing that, which I believe was one of the key paths that led me into anorexia. So sipping my free green tea from HelloFresh. <clears throat> anorexia then. I used to say it was when I was 13, but thinking back, I think it was late 13, early 14, or it would, it would have been 13, 14, the time that I kind of quote was diagnosed with anorexia and a few things happened in a short space of time. Number one, my grandma died, my mum's mum, the one that used to dislike me completely as clear as day as that was. Um, she died and I hadn't experienced death before in the family. So it was the first death I had experienced. Like I say, I was like late 13, early 14 year old. Um, and seeing my mum, because it was my mum's mum, so upset and seeing my mum in so much pain, emotional pain, obviously, because her mum had just died. And it was quite, it was sudden as well. She was only 60, 63 or 64. And she went into hospital for a blood clot or something. And we went to see her the night before. Like I went out somewhere with friends and she was fine and she was coming home the next day. And then literally she died suddenly in the night. So it was very sudden as well. So it wasn't, not that that makes anything better, but that was like, it wasn't, we didn't know it was going to happen basically. So this was for my mom, extremely painful. And it was almost like I took on the responsibility of my mom's emotions. And I want, it was all, I don't know why, maybe codependency, whatever. I decided it was, this was all unconscious that it was my it was my fault almost. And I needed my mum to feel better because it hurt me so much to see her in pain. So that kind of happened. My grandma died. I remember watching a film called The Perfect Body. I had a free at school. So obviously I was studying for my GCSEs at, at this time and I had a free period. So I lived very close. My home was very close to the secondary school. So I could literally walk home in like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. So I used to do that sometimes in a free period. And I remember watching this movie called The Perfect Body. And it is about the dangers of a gymnast. And I had that in common, the gymnastics. Um, this girl who was a gymnast, like developed anorexia and bulimia in terms to try and stay small and to win the Olympic medal. Anyway, it all went horribly wrong, as you can imagine, because she had zero energy and all of that. And the film was about, I mean, I don't think it would be allowed to be aired now because of the dangers of it. But the whole movie was about the dangers of anorexia. But weirdly, I watched that movie and felt inspired to just not eat. I have no idea why, whether it's because I saw myself as a gymnast as she was, whether she could do it, so therefore I could do it. I don't know. I don't know. But that inspired me to not eat. It was like a switch flicked in my head. It was very weird. And then... Also, I think before I watched that, I was wanting to lose weight for a party me and my sister were going to in Leek, of all places, because we met these two guys from Leek and we used to go on the bus like every weekend to see them. And I wanted to lose weight for a party. So all of those things combined led me into the path of anorexia. And I remember being so in denial. I remember when my mum started noticing, cause I would, I would, I lost weight very quickly. Cause like I said, a switch just flicked in my head, dead hard to describe. Cause it doesn't make sense to me reflecting back. And I just didn't eat. And anytime I could get away with not eating, I just wouldn't eat. And I would lie to my mum. So I would like tip the toaster upside down. And so there would be crumbs on the worktop. 
and then be like, oh yeah, I had a slice of toast and I didn't have anything. And I would say things like, oh yeah, I ate at my friend's house or I ate at school or I ate, and I didn't eat, I hadn't eaten, but I used to lie. And she didn't notice anything at the beginning because why would she, why would she? But then when I started to lose weight and I started to wear baggy clothes to hide it, she noticed because your mum frigging knows everything before anyone else, doesn't she? If you have a, you know, a, a mum that loves you unconditionally and that notices you and, and I was blessed to have that um she just noticed and so she was coming down on me hard um in terms of like trying to make me eat obviously because her daughter was like slowly wasting away um and the first bit of my anorexia it was kind of very foggy in my mind I just remember like my mom would like pull the cereal out for me for breakfast and then any opportunity I'd like quickly put some in the bin so at least I was eating half of the amount I would just do I became an expert being sneaky and lying about what I hadn't eaten no about what I had eaten when I actually hadn't right and I remember a holiday in Menorca we went to and I remember being on the balcony and um, in at Menorca oh, I wish I could have one right now we used to get like fresh chocolate croissants for breakfast and then cookies and things like that and obviously when I was anorexic it was the worst thing that could ever happen to me someone would go and get breakfast and I remember like going onto the balcony and then quickly like chucking my cookie off the balcony and like then someone would come out and check on me and I'd be like oh yeah it's like really nice cookie and I'd basically just lie and throw food away I remember on that same holiday my mum breaking down and crying because when I was sunbathing she said I was so skinny that you could see right down my bikini bottoms because my hip bones were sticking out so much it was just literally bone and you could just and she was just so distraught and upset and that broke my heart obviously but I was like the cause of it and I felt guilty but I couldn't stop myself from not eating and I, I had this weird thing um I've not I mean, I've not done a ton of anorexia research and asked others about this, but I wouldn't drink anything in, in my anorexia days. So I literally would limit myself to one cup, one cup of water for the whole entire day. And that was also at home as well, as well as on holiday. And I would put at home, I'd get this one little glass of water and put it in the freezer I used to do really weird shit, obsessive, weird stuff. If anyone touched it, I would be fuming. And I used to put it in the freezer. So then like, I got this cup out like in mid morning when I couldn't like not drink anymore. Like my body was like screaming at me to drink. And so it would last longer because it would slowly melt and I'd take little sips throughout the day. And that was all I would eat, drink. And that was because any kind of fluid filled my tummy up and I was obsessed. I need a stronger word than obsessed obsessed with anything going in my tummy if even water was in my tummy I would decide that my tummy was huge and it was sticking out and oh my god that was the end of the world literally I felt like I was going to die or something so on this holiday which was really hot I would still only drink one cup of water a day and I remember my mom and dad like trying to force me to drink because it obviously I could have died or something. And I remember like tipping the water over under my sunbed and pretending I drank like a bottle of water when I hadn't. <sighs> but the, so that was not a pleasant holiday. I used to burn, like now I tan quite well. I'm blonde, blue eyed, so I'm never gonna be like the best tanner in the world naturally. Um, but I used to, I couldn't tan at all because obviously how can your body 
think care and think about things such as melatonin and, and getting the right things whatever goes on in your body when you have a suntan it was too busy trying to keep me alive with like what my organs needed and my heart needed and I used to burn all the time I remember on the holiday and just in general being obsessed with what people were eating so I would always be wanting to be around food and I wanted to cook food and I wanted to smell it and be there, but I never, ever wanted to eat it. So I was obsessed with just food in general, but I wouldn't eat. I remember like watching my sister on holiday, just like have a chip from my mum or my dad's meal and me just looking and being like, I wish I could literally just have a chip and it not be like any big deal. And to me, it was a matter of life or death. But of course, it's just a frigging chip. But my brain, my anorexia was ruling me completely. And I was petrified of food. And I remember being so jealous of my sister just because she could have a chip. I remember anyone that would, I mean, I had a boyfriend at the time for some of this anorexia. And obviously that didn't last long because you cannot be in a relationship with someone, especially romantically with anorexia. Anytime he tried to, touch me in my tummy area I would get so angry and get him off me because I was so scared that he would think I was fat even though it was literally bone because I had this weird obsession about anything being in my tummy and making it bloated I didn't nobody could touch it I wouldn't even touch it had a weird thing about that I would be dreading literally dreading anyone suggest anything to do with food so if I was out with friends or whatever, if anyone suggested food, I'd literally like freeze inside. Can you imagine? Like now I'm like, please can we go for food or please can we go and get an ice cream? Crazy. And I remember one time really stuck, stuck out for me, this same boyfriend at the time, the one that was from Leek, Taylor, if I really don't think he'd be watching and listening to this. Anyway, I remember um, me meeting his family like for the first, like for the first or second time, and they didn't know about my food issues, although it was pretty obvious if you looked at me. And um, they ordered a Chinese. And I remember Taylor was really good. He he knew my fear. I didn't really speak to him about it, but it, it was obvious. Like anytime we were eating, it was like, <gasps> like, and I just didn't eat because I was petrified. So he knew my fear. So he tried to like reassure me and just be like, just eat like a little bit. And I remember <clears throat> sitting at the table with this all this Chinese and meeting his parents and just literally being so petrified to eat and I managed to eat something and I literally thought I was going to die literally thought I was going to die that was a horrible experience I remember I mean then I broke up with him because of obvious reasons I remember when my mum and dad used to try and make me eat I would just literally just scratch sit and scratch my face so I'd get my nails and just scratch, like self-harm and scratch my face because I did not want to eat and they were making me and thank fuck I was a child that they could actually make me else I would literally be dead right now I'm sure of it I would scratch my face my mum said I don't remember this but she said one time I ran out into the road and nearly got run over and died because I just wouldn't eat and we had an argument so I just ran out into the middle of the main road apparently um I remember hating myself so much for seeing my mum and dad suffer my mum went on depression tablets all because of not all because of me it wasn't like it's in my fault but I was the one with the anorexia I was the one causing her all this pain and I remember being so mad at myself and hating myself so much and wanting to be able to want to get 
better, but I didn't want to get better because it meant weight gain. So it was this awful like kind of situation to be in. I remember looking at pro Anna chat room forums and reading about pro Anna websites. That was kind of scary. I think that was one of the things in a good way that made me think, what the fuck am I doing? This is not okay. I think I'm literally going to die one day soon because, you know, the experts were like, I remember they passed my mom a leaflet of anorexia and I was like, I've not got anorexia. That's not me. I'm in control. I know what I'm doing. And I didn't, but I generally thought I did. And these little things, like when the experts are like, your daughter's slowly dying. I was like in such denial. I was like, no, I'm not. But I actually was. Obviously, my periods had stopped completely. I was cold all the time. I still have to this day, you can't really see it on this video, loads of like white hair all over my face because that's something that happens when you're anorexic because your body's trying to keep warm. So I grew hair everywhere. I still have cold hands and feet all the time. It's now a condition called Raynaud's, but that only came on from the anorexia because your body doesn't care about extremities such as hands and feet. It just cares about keeping you alive. So all the blood goes to the organs. I was tired all the time. I was sleeping all the time, even though I was obsessed with exercise. I was irritable and mardy and angry and obsessed all the time. Yeah, that was a lot of things that happened. I remember looking in the mirror, seeing literally bones and seeing every single rib and every single spine bone. We only have one spine, but you know what I mean? And then still thinking I needed to lose weight. Like body dysmorphia was a thing and it still is I think to this day for me actually even though I love myself so it doesn't matter what size body I think I'm in because I've made peace with that but even when I say things like oh yeah she's got a similar figure to me and then one of my friends or Val will be like I think you have body dysmorphia because you are so much smaller than that person and again it doesn't matter but I think this is this is definitely carried over and doing a lot of research recently because I'm actually helping um, a young lady a 16 year old with anorexia actually recently I've done a lot more research to try and help her to the best of my ability and that is very common something can actually change in the way your brain works to change the perception you have of yourself so it's an actual scientific physiological thing as well um what else oh yeah mum used to take the scale away from me obviously but then she would weigh me once a week to make sure I wasn't losing any more weight secretly I would like pray that it would be lighter and that I would have lost weight and then when I did lose weight and inside I was like yes like results like this is what I want but then of course my mum was distraught because she's like oh my god she's still losing weight like I'm literally losing my daughter and I had the high of weight loss um when I used to have medical weigh-ins um because obviously of course my mum got me help I'd been to countless psychotherapists therapists I didn't want I didn't want help I didn't want to speak to anybody and this one woman I think I don't know why I decided to I think it was for my mum's sake to be honest I continued with this woman and she used to have to weigh me all the time and so it was always after school that I went to this weigh-in and this therapy session. And I remember from the second I woke up in the morning, I would not go for a wee. Well, I say a wee, I couldn't even like go for a poo. Like, I'm trying to think of a better way to say that other than just saying it because I had no food in me to actually get rid of. But I would not go for a wee the whole entire day. 
until I got weighed and I would use to put bottles like this of water in my hoodie, like stuff them in and try and hide them. So I would weigh heavier when she weighed me in the medical weigh-ins and then I would allow myself to go for a wee. I can't even hold the toilet now for like bloody five minutes if I need it. I need it now. So it's a bit of an over-exaggeration. Of course I can hold it, but it's crazy what I put myself through. I didn't want to talk. I didn't want to get better because getting better would mean weight gain. And I remember mum shared this with me recently, actually, as I was speaking about um, my client with her and how her mum must be feeling supporting her daughter through anorexia. My mum said she remembered one time <clears throat> she just um, dropped me off for a therapy session at this anorexic place. And um, she'd, someone was complaining about where she'd parked outside of his house, even though it was completely legal and you were allowed to park there. He was moaning about she shouldn't park here blah 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 and she she told me she absolutely lost it she just started like went off on one and was like saying you're moaning about where I'm parking and my daughter is slowly dying and she's in therapy right now literally dying and someone's moaning about where I'm parking my fucking car and then she got signed off work actually then <sighs> yeah it affects the whole family, obviously, but when you when you're in the anorexia, you don't you don't really see it or you don't want to see it. Well, first of all, you're a child, and second of all, the illness is so strong, it overrules everything. So my heart is just going out to my mum right now for like what she went through. Um, oh, with the anorexia for me came OCD. I knew this was going to be a long episode. We're going to, it was um, OCD and cleanliness. So I was obsessed with um, everything being clean and everything having to be just so and everything having to be the perfect line. Like I remember I've always, I've had a horse. I've told you that I've rode horses ever since I was five. Um, I was so blessed and lucky enough to get a pony on loan when me and my sister were 11 and we shared this pony on loan. And then when I was anorexic, I was, well, this, I must, yeah. So I was anorexic when I was 14. The horse that I'm referring to, wow. Yeah, that I got her when I was 16. So I was, on a, I mean, of course, anorexia, is, it doesn't just go overnight. This was like for years, this, we have, we went through this. I remember mucking out my horse's stable. Now, those of you that aren't horsey, imagine a stall where a horse like sleeps or whatever. Obviously, it poos and wheezes in there and lies down in there. So the second you put the horse in the new stable, it literally just walks all over it and makes it messy because that's what horses do. But I had to literally get the spirit measure out and have the most perfect straight line of my horse's bed that I made it with the shavings. And if it wasn't perfectly straight, well, it had to be because I couldn't cope. And I used to hoover the actual stable with a hoover a horse stable, OCD. I used to be obsessed with everything being in the right place. And if someone moved something, well, God help them because I would be fuming. And I remember um, my mum used to help me muck out sometimes when I was at school as a surprise, like, so I didn't have to do it. And I'd be very angry for two reasons. Number one, she'd mucked out. So therefore I hadn't, I didn't have to muck out. So therefore I wouldn't be exercising because mucking out takes energy and therefore exercise. I'd be fuming that she took the exercise away from me. And number two, it wasn't as perfect as I did it, even though she tried her hardest, bless her heart, to try and get it perfect because she knew what I would be like and it was never good enough and so it really caused 
such strain in our relationship and then also me and my auntie not me my my mum and my auntie so her sister I kept my horse at my auntie's house oh it literally sounds like oh yes tally ho it was my auntie had this incredible house let's be honest where I kept my horse there and then they fell out over me because my auntie of course was sick of my OCD and like obsession with timings and my horse had to be here at a certain like everything had to be just so and then my mum was sticking up for me because of what I was going through and they fell out for years over me as well I remember that that caused a lot of aggro in the family my sister bless her used to eat more she said to me after I've recovered that she used to force herself to eat more to try and show me that it was safe to eat and that it was okay to eat so she used to eat more to try and show me it was safe the only thing now I'm getting to the end of like my anorexia story, if you like, the only thing that saved me from anorexia was my parents' support and love and determination for me to get better. And the fact that she, my mum specifically, because I think it was all up to my mum to like put these rules in place. She threatened me that she would sell my horse unless I ate and she really meant it. And thank God I had such a passion for horses. And that was what I was going to do my whole life. And I actually did work with horses up until I was like mid twenties, left school at 16 and worked with horses. My horse saved my life because I force fed myself. Oh, it was fucking awful, horrible because my horse was going to be sold if I didn't. And so that saved my life. And so I remember like, sitting at the table and they they would give me a big dinner and then a big fuck off weight gain shake and, and I remember seeing the big um I mean I've seen it loads now because I'm, I'm into fitness but I'd never seen that before like a big plastic container I think like 1000 calorie a shake or something I remember thinking oh my god I know how many calories are in that and I'm eating a dinner and I'm having to eat every two hours and I'm having to have this oh it was horrible I'm sure there were better ways that could have been introduced food back into me but there you go that's the way it was and it saved my life and then I remember when I was into recovery and when I say recovery I mean actually eating because mentally I did not want to but thankfully the horse meant more to me somehow Um, And I think unconsciously, I was glad that I was threatened because otherwise it wouldn't have got better. Um, My mum sent me to my idol. So my riding instructor at the time, Lorraine Moon, who's rode at Hickstead in show jumping, that might not mean anything to some of you. Um, I had the opportunity to go and live with her for the whole of the summer holidays at school and ride her really famous show jumpers and help out on the grounds that I was to eat every two hours and Lorraine would bring me food and watch me eat it and if I didn't I was to come home and the horse would be sold so that really kind of helped me physically recover and then as I said when I was 16 and I left school um I went to work with horses and I was used to eating more and I believe reflecting back as I'm describing this is I felt okay eating a quote normal amount of food because I was so physically active. I was riding seven to nine horses a day, mucking out stables, sweeping, walking. Literally, it was like so much exercise every single day, early in the morning till late at night. Because I worked at a hunting yard. And if anyone knows about horses, you will know what it's like at a hunting yard. And we were producing young horses. We would do, there was so much exercise. So therefore, I kind of felt 
safe to eat because I knew I could stay small. So that I kind of physically recovered, but not mentally, because of course I didn't get to the root of it, which was self-worth, self-love and body image, which is what I teach now, of course, because it's necessary. But even then when I was tiny and I had abs and all of that, I would still get jealous of anyone who was on a diet, who was losing weight, even though they were much bigger than me, I would be so jealous that they were losing weight and I wasn't. Like I say, it's weird, but it's not weird. Of course, it all makes complete sense, really. Um, But then that progressed as I was leaving the anorexia physically. It was still in my head mentally, but I was feeling safe to eat more because I could stay small. And this happened over time gradually. But I was always eating in an attempt to control my body size. And I remember like when I started going on night outs, um, I never really drank alcohol because I don't actually like the taste of it. And I don't drink it all now because I don't like the taste of it. So I'm go- I'm glad about that. But if we were good to go on a night out, I wouldn't eat all day. So my tummy would be as flat as possible for my dress. And so that was kind of my anorexia journey. And then I'm going to pause this here and then continue the other part in a moment. Maybe on the video, you might see a different background because I know Vouter wants to use the gym and I've been here for an hour and he was waiting for me to record. So I will be right back with the relationship, binge eating, bulimia and fitness obsession story. Okay, so I've just finished recording the second part and it's almost an hour again. So I think what makes the most sense is to split this into two episodes. So You've just listened to my story part one, and then next week I'm going to be posting my story part two. So just to let you know, there's not going to be one whole big long episode. I'm splitting it up to give you a bit of a break from my voice. Um, So see you next time for part two. I hope this episode was everything you needed to hear today and more. If you love this podcast, then please screenshot this episode and share it to your Instagram or Facebook stories and tag me at Victoria Kleinsman so I can share you with my audience and we can get my podcast out to more women that need it. Also, I'd be super duper grateful if you could rate and review this podcast as it really does help others to find it. Thank you so, so much in advance and I'll see you on the next one.